นโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะนโมทัสสะภะคะวะโตอะระหะโตสัมมาสัมพุทธัสสะพุทธังดัมมังสังขังนามัสามิOf course, he'd like to be a monk straight away, and and like to get enlightened next week. But um, you know, our preferences are one thing, and reality is something else. And so the reality is that um, whilst we respect his aspirations tremendously, who knows what's hidden away inside that peaceful exterior—the <laughs> uh, wild, untamed passions that we all have inside us. Uh, Sometimes it proved to be more of a challenge than we expected, and so Ajahn Chah was very, uh, very uh, strict in enforcing or, or encouraging. Enforcing perhaps sounds a little heavy, but but uh, implementing the the training program of entering into this path of renunciation gradually, and. All of us here, and all of us on the uh, who follow the Buddha's teachings, of course, share uh, an aspiration for purification of the heart, freedom from the suffering that comes from getting caught up in uh, heedless habits that lead to uh, greed, aversion, and delusion. And and we all know that uh, painful and regrettable as these habits are, uh, we can't just let go of them as an act of will. It takes a certain kind of consistent, patient effort, and we all. Uh, do it in their own way. For those who feel uh, that they um, have an affinity with the path of renunciation, well, then there's this opportunity to, to, uh, as with everybody else, keeping the five precepts, the five moral precepts, but then also uh, turning up the volume, if you like, by taking on the renunciate precepts, uh, determining not to eat in the evening, and giving up music and. And makeup. Well, not that David used to wear much makeup. I don't imagine. But you know, basically the adornments, the extra things uh, that that um, we can use to distract ourselves from what's 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 uh, what's actually in front of us. Uh, this commitment to give up that which is extra, taking on the renunciate training, is a part of the commitment to, uh, as I say, turning up the volume or. So we can deepen our inquiry into this path of practice, and of course we're very happy that David wants to make this commitment and welcome him to the community. In his last incarnation, before he became Anagarika David, he was, uh, for those of you who want to know these things, he was a, a greenkeeper at St Andrew's Golf Course. Uh, so we can expect that our lawns are going to improve. Looking forward to. The moss deteriorating in the, the in, 
and the green getting greener. Um, but of course, that's not the reason for joining a community. Um, the reason for taking these precepts, well, what is the reason for taking precepts? Uh, I always find it a great joy when people want to uh, make a statement of their commitment to the precepts, regardless whether it's the five precepts, eight precepts, ten precepts, however many precepts one wants to commit to, because what's behind it is, whether we're conscious of it or not, we're not always conscious, but, but what's behind it is a, a sense of trust that we need to be very careful about what we do with our body and speech. We all understand this. In the Buddhist path of training, precepts are not about becoming good or getting a, uh, an express ticket into a, a better relationship with, with the divine. Buddha's attendant, Ananda, asked the Buddha, what are the point of, the, of keeping the moral precepts? And the, the Lord Buddha replied straight away saying that uh, we keep the moral precepts so the mind is free from remorse. And in other words, it's just very practical that if we want to turn the light of attention inwards and become intimately personally, directly familiar with what's really going on in our minds. What is it that trips us up? Not just to think about it or read somebody else's philosophy, but really in the moment that we're about to get tripped up by becoming greedy again, by becoming angry again, by becoming confused again. If we're really interested in being there in the moment that it's about to happen so we can see exactly what we're doing, so that we end up not doing it, then we need a very clear mind. And uh, so this is what the Buddha pointed out, that when there's uh, remorse in the mind, well, that clouds things. I'm sure all of us have, can remember situations where there's a sense of regret. I'm very familiar with the thought, if only I hadn't done that, or if only I hadn't said that. Okay. Yeah, through my whole life, basically. <laughs> I think probably one of the first thoughts I had was, if only I hadn't <laughs> done that. But, uh, and what does that feel like? If we stop and think like that, if we remember that, that sense of remorse, regret. There's a wholesome sense of remorse, of course, which, uh, which can inspire us to changing our behavior. But still, the feeling of remorse comes out of having done something that is uh, not appropriate and it, uh, it burdens the heart and clouds the mind and so the Buddha was pointing out that if we want to really deepen our inquiry and see so we want to be able to see clearly not just believe not just have a conceptual understanding but to to be able to be so precise at the moment that suffering is about to arise that we can be there for well, we have to have this precision and clarity of mind. And, and so keeping the moral precepts and, and really keeping them strictly is, uh, is part of it, a big part of that. But then it's, it's also very important to understand in, in an occasion like this of uh, taking the, the eight precepts is a good occasion to remind ourselves that these precepts are you know, they're definitely not an end in themselves. As you just said, they're, they're functional but also, we need to keep working on them. You know, just because we take the precepts, 
doesn't mean to say, okay, now I've got the precepts. You could be understanding, or I've taken the precepts, and somehow that uh, that's um, like a club membership, or or somehow that's an attainment just because I've taken the precepts, the refuges and precepts. As a kind of a somewhat materialistic attitude towards these things. Yes, the ritual can be very powerful if we do it with mindfulness, with sincerity. The taking of the the precepts can be very uh, strengthening. And, but we need to uh, keep exercising the mindfulness because there can be an impurity in our uh, keeping of the precepts. Yeah. You know, one of the most obvious ones, of course, is that uh, we can become uh, easily become very conceited. Yeah. Yeah. Keep more precepts, well, then makes it makes us better than somebody else. Well, if we, uh, if we see, for instance, the conceited mind states come up and say, oh, well, I'm better than them because I keep more precepts or I behave myself and they don't, and we catch that conceited thought or that conceited feeling, well, it's very painful and very unpleasant, and we can, at that point, uh, get very judgmental and critical and, uh, and make an inc- increased problem out of it. Well, the path of training for us is, is not to... Uh, to get upset when we find that we've got a conceited relationship to keeping moral precepts, but rather to be grateful that we've seen how conceited we are. Because we only see conceit in our mind if there's the causes for conceit to be there. And uh, this, is, this is tricky, this is subtle, because it's so easy when we catch ourselves being conceited to just slap a judgment on it and think, oh, I shouldn't be conceited. Well, that's, that's too easy, actually. Really, when we see conceit, actually that's a good sign because it's quite difficult to see conceit. It's so, it's so deeply rooted in our minds, you know, the, the, the sense of I and, and what's mine, you know, my virtue, my value, my worth and so on. When we're attached to these things, and, well, it does actually make us kind of smell bad. And it needs, but it needs to be purified. So when we do have a moment of seeing, you know, keeping the moral precepts, and then one day we, we suddenly realize how conceited we are about it, well, of course, it's, on one level it's regrettable, but the important thing is to be able to be, recognize this is the point where we can change things. This is the only place, actually, this is the only time we can let go of conceit is when we see it. So that's part of the purification of, um, of the precepts is to uh, recognize that there is a tendency to, to cling to ideas of, of I'm pure because I keep more precepts. Well, the Buddha was very clear about this. The, uh, the, the saying in the beginning, the, the moral precepts are functional. They're something that we, we, can, we, we contain our actions of body and speech um, so as to be able to deepen our investigation, so as to be able to get to the root, the roots of our suffering. And this is true from the very beginning all the way through to the end. It doesn't matter how long we've been keeping precepts or how many precepts we keep, but to keep reflecting on how we can purify our relationship to them. Uh, just yesterday I came back from a visit to Glasgow, uh, and uh, went up as usual on a monthly visit to the Edinburgh and Glasgow groups. And, and at uh, one of the meetings in Glasgow, uh, 
one young man asked me the question that is regularly asked and that with regards to the five precepts. So, well, what is the fifth precept? Does that mean you can never, ever have a drink or does it mean you can have a, you know, a little something from time to time? And, of course, you know, everybody asks this question. Well, not everybody, but a lot of people ask this question wanting to know. Uh, but uh, what I tried to uh, point out to this chap was that, that the precepts and keeping the precepts is not, is not about somebody out there judging us and saying we're good or we're bad because you know, we keep the precepts or we don't keep the precepts. There's nobody out there saying we're bad because we don't keep the precepts or we're good because we do keep the precepts. That's something we add on top of reality. The precepts are there as a, as a frame of reference, as guidelines, so that we can reflect, so that we can, so our attention, so our, our intention becomes more conscious. If we set up a boundary and we say, okay, undertake the train to refrain from, from killing living beings and, or from stealing or from abuse of sexuality or these things or lying and so on. We, we, we make a conscious statement of where a boundary is in our action of body and speech, well then as we are about to cross this boundary, we become more conscious. It's, it's that simple. And, and it's, uh, I know many of you actually, have all, we've all, we had discussions about this, how helpful it is when we set up that clear boundary for ourselves. But depending on the kind of conditioning we've had in the past, uh, we can complicate it by turning the precepts into being more than guidelines, being some sort of a, a, uh, an ultimate thing in themselves. And so with regards to this, this young chap who was asking about you know, how much you can drink or whether you can drink at all, whatever, I, yeah, well, that's, you know, that's not the point. Yeah, in the scriptures it does talk about this one uh, army general, if I remember the story correctly, who was totally sozzled, completely off his face, it wasn't long after that, you know, he attained arahantship. Now, I'm not mentioning this so that you feel that it's an encouragement to get off your face before you come to pooch in the evening. <laughs> you know, I'd be very disappointed if, if um, you misinterpreted this story. But, uh, you know, the point of <laughs> the reason for mentioning it is that uh, you know, there's always room for improvement. That's the thing. You know, it's not like you know, keeping precepts. It doesn't make us good. Or, you know, or somehow inherently uh, precious. They're there to help us and to encourage us to reflect. And so you know, I suggested this guy, just, well, if he's drinking a lot, well, maybe drink a little less. Yeah. And it's the same with all the precepts, all the, like the five precepts. If somebody is only keeping, you know, say two precepts, well, I'm not going to, personally, I'm not going to kind of get heavy on them and say, you must keep the five precepts, otherwise you're going to go to hell. So if you're only keeping, say, two precepts, well, I say, well, try keeping three. You want to just like, you know, or if you're only keeping three, well, then try and keep three and a half. You know, improve a little bit at a time. Because these things are there, these guidelines are there to... uh, to encourage us, and that, that's just really profoundly important. That we, you know, we want to use the precepts actually to make ourselves feel happy. That's all the Buddha's teachings, beginning, middle, and end, are there to help us increase in well-being. And so, when we pick up the training, 
whatever aspect of the training, the meditation, the daily life practice, the precepts, to always be having the mindfulness to examine the way we're holding these things. Does it actually help increase our sense of freedom from suffering or is it making you suffer more? Talking to somebody else recently about how their practice was going and and uh, asked him what he was doing in his practice and and how he dealt with things. And he said, oh, my practice is very simple. He said, I always think, I always keep remembering, is what I'm doing leading to suffering or freedom from suffering? And I thought that was, that was really good. That was really helpful. It was very simple but very profound. Yeah, we can complicate practice. You know, thinking about the precepts, thinking about samadhi, what stage our samadhi is at and you know, how much more samadhi we should have and, you know, or should we switch to vipassana and, and what is vipassana anyway? Does it mean looking at sensations zooming around your body as they teach in this tradition or is it the satipatthana or, you know, what is vipassana anyway? And, and uh, losing perspective, complicating things. And so I thought this, uh, this chap's perspective and practice was very good, really, is to... M- Maintain the constant reflection. Does what I'm doing increase suffering or lead to freedom from suffering? Because we've got that. Well, then what we're likely to see is not just that maybe we're increasing our suffering, but we're going to be there at the time and in the way that we can see what we're doing that's increasing the suffering, which is usually, which is perhaps always, holding something too tightly. So the precepts, even though the precepts are in themselves uh, good things to do, if we hold them too tightly, we can hurt ourselves. Mm. Mm. In the uh, a chant we do after the uh, recitation of the rule, we have the recitation of the Patimoka rule every fortnight here. Uh, one of the monks recites the 227 rules and we all sit there and listen to it and and then after it we do this chanting together and in one of the verses that we chant there uh, talks about the, uh, the way we pick up the training. The, the Buddha talks about it. He says if you pick it up in the wrong way, and in India there's a thing called kusa grass. And I don't know if, if in Britain you have anything the equivalent. In New Zealand we have something there. We call it cutty grass. And if you grab it, it can actually cut your hand. And uh, it depends on how you pick it up depends on how you pick it up. And if we pick it up in the wrong way, then we can hurt ourselves and with the precepts, with the meditation practice. Mm-hmm. We pick up the meditation practice. We have the, we have, we're inspired by the possibility, whether it's from meeting somebody or from reading something or, or just an intuition, the possibility that, that the mind can settle, that that all this activity, this apparently endless activity that, that troubles us, that keeps us awake at night, that's there when we wake up in the morning, that, that clouds our judgment, that, 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 that ignites the passions and leads to resentment and, and unforgiveness and, and intolerance and, 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 and all the stuff that we see around us, you know, that, that, that we can be free from all this. We can be inspired, the possibility, we can be free from this compulsive rambling in, in our minds and, and so we embark on a meditation practice and we've got faith, we've got energy, we've got confidence and, 
And what usually happens for a lot of people is that in the beginning, uh, we hold the meditation you know, with, a, with a sense of, of adventure, with a sense of interest and enthusiasm, and, and we're open to possibilities, and, and we, we're really determined, and, and uh, maybe we get somewhere fairly quickly, and we have a good experience. And that's very inspiring. I mean, and and uh, I know my own efforts in the beginning of meditation. I, I used to have so much bliss when I used to meditate in the beginning. Tears of bliss streaming down my face. Oh, it was wonderful. This is why can't everybody want to do it? I got all evangelical and tried to convert everybody to doing mindfulness of breathing. <laughs> yeah, and uh, of course, it was very quick that um, that uh, the bliss disappeared, and it was a very long time before I, I realised that that the approach to meditation, the way I was holding it, actually was a limitation itself. Because you have some initial good experience, or initial agreeable experience, and then based on memory, I want to have that again. And so then we grasp at the memory, and so then we try harder, but we're not actually, we're not actually here in this moment anymore. We're we're lost in memories. What it was like then, it was like then, and I want to be like that again now, and if I can be like that in the future, it's going to be like that. And what is the problem? You know, the problem is we forgot this contemplation. Is what I'm doing leading to more suffering or freedom from suffering? And if we have that contemplation going, well, actually, this stressing ourselves, our shoulders up around our ear and our belly is, 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 is tight and, and uh, our mind is caught up in the past and the future and, and it's actually leading to more suffering. Whereas if we're really present for it, then we can see, oh, the way I'm holding this, maybe I can change it. And it's amazing that we can actually um, get it so wrong, so consistently, really. It's kind of embarrassing, I find, really. I, I just realize how foolish I can be. Because I don't do that on the outside. You know, in the outside world, like if you, if you uh, like, for instance, you're driving a car. Not that I've driven a car recently, but I can remember what it's like when you're driving a long distance... If, if you hold the wheel too tightly, what happens? You know, your shoulders get stiff and you start getting a headache and your driving deteriorates. Or if you're using a tool, using a, using a chisel when you're on a lathe, you know, you're on a lathe and, and the wood is turning nice and fast and you've got, a, you've got the chisel and you're, you're leaning into, the, uh, you're into the, the piece of wood that's spinning and you're turning it. But if you're holding the chisel too tightly, you end up spoiling the bit of wood. We all know on the outer level what it means to hold something too tightly. But I guess it's just a lack of uh, good education, lack of experience, that we don't realize that when we hold our attention too tightly inwardly, it causes just as much damage. So uh, whatever it is we're doing, whether it's uh, it's picking up the precepts or in our meditation practice or in in our everyday reflection, to uh, keep this, this contemplation going is what I'm doing leading to more suffering or to freedom from suffering because all the Buddha's teachings are about freedom from suffering. And if we lose it, then we tend to hold too tightly. We get greedy for results, and afraid we're going to lose something we've already got, and still that's a holding to... Now, what is fear? What is fear? If we're really mindful for fear, fear as a symptom, as an experience, is very painful. Very disagreeable, very unpleasant. 
But in reality, what is it? Well, if we prepare our mindfulness consistently enough, steadily enough, and we're there in the moment, we can experience that, again, fear is always holding on too tightly to something. We're holding on to something too tightly. Uh, we don't have to slap a judgment on that. We can just be there and little by little what increases is the gentleness, the gentleness with which we hold experience. The gentleness with which we hold experience. And as we learn to hold things firmly but gently, then we experience ourselves directly the benefit, the increased clarity, the increased ability to inquire, to investigate. So on this occasion of uh, David joining the community, taking the Anagarika precepts, uh, I'd like to offer this consideration of uh, the place of precepts in our practice and also encourage this uh, ongoing uh, contemplation of whether the way we hold our practice, all aspects of our practice, is it leading us to increase suffering or to freedom from suffering? Thank you very much this evening for your attention. Mm-hmm. Um, the Maya.